Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Well, good morning. It is great to see everybody. Thank you for standing. You actually may be seated. And looking forward to spending time in God's Word this morning. Thank you for bearing with us with the ups and the downs and the, the changes and everything. We appreciate it. How is everybody doing this morning? Doing good? All right. I am doing fantastic. It is great to see everyone here this morning. We are going to be diving into a new series that I'm excited about. And it kind of was born out of an interesting conversation that I was having with Angel, our worship director. How many of you have ever heard of the movie or the books, Diary of a Wimpy Kid? You ever, you ever hear of those? Okay, there we go. And I've never read the books, never watched the movies or anything like that, but I kind of have the idea of the premise, and I kind of want to do something similar, but talk about the church, because I don't know if there's ever been a time where we have needed strong churches than today, because we are looking at so much going on in our world, globally, locally, we are seeing a rise in people that are really burdened with... um, mental health crisis, you're seeing depression on the rise, we are seeing crime, vandalism, we're seeing a lot, and then at the same time, we're looking at the church, and we are seeing historic number of church closures, pastors resigning and leaving, and yet the church is uniquely designed to speak to the problems that we are facing today, and You and I as believers, we're uniquely equipped to bring hope to those who are hurting. We are uniquely situated in San Jose to help and be a part of the solution here in our city. And yet, we can't do that if we're weak, can we? We have to be strong. And so I want to look at several passages of Scripture over the next several weeks as we dive into this idea of what it means to be a strong church. But here's the deal. Strong churches actually come from strong Christians. It's not just a strong building. It's not just a strong worship team, children's ministry, ushers, audiovisual team. What makes a church strong isn't even necessarily the pastor. What makes a church strong are the congregants. It's you and it's I. So you have a part of making this church stronger. But if you are continuing to say, no, 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 we just need to have a strong worship team and then our church is strong. Well, well, no, you're missing it. And so we're gonna dive in. And if you have a Bible, go to Galatians chapter number four. And I'm gonna need help because as I was studying Galatians chapter number four, it's just a powerful passage of scripture But I kept saying, Lord, I really feel inadequate. And so, God, you've got to help me teach this because there's so much nuance to chapter 4 of Galatians. And I don't want to hit it in just a surface level. I really want to be a help, and I believe that God can speak powerfully. But I do believe what we received is based on our expectation. And I do hope and pray that you come in on Sundays with the spirit of, God, would you speak to me? God, would you illuminate your word to touch my life? Because when you have that expectation, it changes everything. And I know how it is today. People are like, well, I don't want to be disappointed. So if I never have expectations, then I can't be disappointed. And that's not true at all. Fly southwest and and you'll get that. 
all right? You, you will face disappointment through life. It's, it's bound to happen. But before we dive into chapter four, I want to ask you a question. When you go to a restaurant or to a store, do you buy what you want or what you can afford? Growing up, my parents, they were great parents. They loved us. They filled the house with love. They didn't always fill it with toys and clothes and food, but they filled it with love, all right? My family was a little bit on the poorer side, and my dad was a pastor, and so there wasn't always a lot to go around. And so going out to eat, we didn't just walk up and tell the, uh, if it was a fast food place, we wouldn't just tell them, oh, I'll take this, I'll take the Big Mac, and I'll take the large fries, and I'll take the Dr. Pepper, and then, oh yeah, throw in a chocolate shake. Oh, to be a teenager again where we could eat like that, right? Nowadays, you're like, I'll have a salad. And then can you sprinkle in some bacon bits? And then, you know, we're trying to, trying to cheat our way. But I would actually, before I'd order, I would look at my parents to see what we could have. Or sometimes they would just order for us. They didn't get what they wanted. They got what they could afford. I believe that many Christians, that's how you live your Christian life. You're not getting what you want from God. You're getting what you think you can afford. So how you live your Christian life is one of scarcity, that, oh, I have to be really good so that God is good to me. You live a Christian life that's more superstitious than it is something where it's, it's rooted and solid. You say, what do you mean by superstitious? You did something bad, so you're looking over your shoulder how God's going to punish you. You're not living from a mindset that says, Lord, I'm coming to the table, but I'm coming for what I want, not what I can afford. Because what Micaiah can afford was nothing. I couldn't afford eternity. I couldn't afford an eternal life in heaven. And neither could you. What we could afford is separation from Almighty God. And yet in our lives today, I meet so many Christians who are broke and broken. And it's because we are going after what we can afford not what we actually want. And here's what I know about you, because I know me. I want a life of joy. I want a life of peace. I want a life of fulfillment. I want a life of miracles. I want to live a life where we can go into a city and we can see it transformed by the power of God. I want to live that type of a life. I don't want to go into San Jose, oh, I don't know, what can I afford? And open up my wallet, open up my account, and it says red, everything's red, you got no money. You broke is a joke. You got to borrow something. No, no, that's not how I want to live life. And I will tell you, God doesn't want you to live that way. There is an abundance and a prosperity that God wants to give you. And don't be worried. This is not a prosperity gospel message. What this is, is we need a better understanding of what we have in Christ. And so with that in mind, go to Galatians chapter number 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let's just look at 12 verses together if we can. Verse number 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But I love verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Redeem is the word buy back to purchase. You see, I owed a debt I couldn't pay. 
And Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. He redeemed us. He bought us. That's verse 5. To those who were under the law, we were all under the law. What law was that? The law of sin. That we might receive the adoption as sons. I grew up in, like I said, a pastor's home with six other siblings. There were seven kids. We were poor. We'd share rooms, share clothes. I'm just thankful I didn't have older sisters. I'm thankful I had older brothers. So sharing clothes wasn't awkward, all right? You're saying, but pastor, today is very progressive. We would have been fine. Stop with that nonsense. I wouldn't do it, all right? But understand that growing up in that household, growing up in that mindset, I would daydream. That one day somebody would knock at the door and be like, we had a child switch at birth and our child's actually Micaiah and we're, we're multimillionaires and we have a mansion in Carmel and we got lots of food in the refrigerator. We actually have his own room, you know, and I was just waiting for that day, okay? Those were my little childhood fantasies that I was actually adopted and not really a biological ermler. I was hoping that somebody would come in and, and rescue me to a nicer place. I would tell my parents, I just want a car that doesn't break down because every car my parents ever owned broke down. And I want a refrigerator with food. This is what I would, I would tell my parents. I just want food in the refrigerator and a car that doesn't break down. Is that too much to ask? And then I would tell my parents, when I make it, man, I'm having food in the refrigerator and a car that doesn't break down. Those are the only two things I've asked Jane. Can we just have food in the refrigerator and a car that doesn't break down, all right? Because I wanted to be adopted. And can I tell you this morning that if you are a blood-bought child of God, you are adopted into a new family and when you are adopted into that new family, you got adopted into all their wealth and riches. And here's the thing. You're not adopted into some family like the Bezos, Musk. No, no, no. You're adopted into the family of God. And the Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he also owns the hills. So God's pretty rich. But it's not just about his riches. It's that God has more than monetary gain. God has the things that your heart really desires. Peace and joy and fulfillment and a future and a friendship and forgiveness. These are all found in the family of God. And we're adopted into that family when we receive Christ as our Savior. So when I'm adopted in, it says that I'm an heir. An heir with who? I've often wanted or wondered if I did have any rich aunts and uncles or grandmas and grandpas. So you do the family tree and you say, man, if this one kicks the bucket, you say, that's a terrible thing to think for a pastor. Well, I hope they're going to heaven, you know, obviously. But let's see, you know, we got any relatives that have any money or anything like that? Nope. Oh, man. Well, they might as well live, stick around, you know. But here's the thing about being an heir. That means when somebody passes away, what happens? You get inheritance. But this passage of scripture, Paul, the writer, is trying to communicate that you and I are a joint heir with who? A joint heir with Christ. Meaning everything that Jesus Christ has coming to him, you and I have the same. That thought right there just kind of blows my mind. That God, and this is wild, folks. Jesus is here, and God picked us up out of the dirt, the mire, and he sets us joint heir with Christ. And that's incredible that you and I have a brother who's also our Savior who happens to be Jesus Christ. But yet you and I are living spiritually and we're coming up to the menu of God's word saying, I don't know if I can afford grace. Oh, I don't know if I can afford the patience to parent my children. 
I don't know if I can afford to have the mercy after what I've done. I don't know. You are living not for what you want. You are ordering what you think you can afford. And my friend, you need to understand, you couldn't afford it anyway. But Jesus Christ could. So he steps in. He rescues. We're not even finished with the, ta- uh, the text. We're not even finished with the message. But already, I feel that God is speaking right now. Verse number six, and because you are sons, he didn't say some of you, you are. He didn't say you might be. He said you're a son of God. And just for a second, in the Greek, the translation, don't worry, ladies, it's all genders included in there. So this is not just him speaking just to all the the dudes in the room. He calls us sons and daughters. And God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. How powerful is that? And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you were served by those which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I have become like you, and you have not injured me at all. Let me go back to verse number nine. Knowing everything that you now know, Paul asked this rhetorical question. says, why do you go back to what he calls these weak and beggarly elements? Why do you go back to buying based on, can I afford it, instead of saying, I want it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there is a deep truth that I believe can set us free this morning from being broke and broken to being all that you want us to be. When we know who we are, our identity with Christ, help us this morning. Unlock the truths in Scripture. Holy Spirit, communicate to the hearts which you want said. Fill my mouth with your words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, please write this down. The life you want is back where you left it. The life you want is back where you left it. That's verse number nine right there. You say, what do you mean? You see, he, he, he tells us all this wonderful news. It, the writer spends eight verses building you up, letting you know how good you got it, letting you know about your adoption, letting you know what Jesus did for you, letting you know that you didn't have to pay for it, but here's all the rights and privileges of a son, and then he comes back with this in verse number nine. He says, knowing all that, how is it that you can turn again to weak and beggarly elements, and this is the worst part, and he says, you desire your flesh desires, and he used a very strong word here. He says, your flesh desires to be in bondage to those things. You see, some of us today, you are living what I call the lesser loser life. It's not the life God intended for you. And you actually know this. You know there is more out there. You just struggle with how to get it or how to live it or how to experience it. You know that you don't have to do all the things that others may do to find fulfillment. You know that there is something about it. But you're just wondering, where do I find it? And I'm here to tell you exactly what Paul is trying to say. He is saying the life you want is where you left it. Because he's communicating to the church at Galatia, you guys had this and then you left it. 
And it reminds me of a group of people who left Egypt. Remember when the Israelites left Egypt? The whole time they were wandering the wilderness? What were they saying about the wilderness? They desired what? To go back. They would say, oh, Moses, man, we can, we can taste the garlic. We just want a little garlic with our manna. You know how good a little garlic, a little olive oil, and we'll just sop it, you know, and it'll kind of be like Olive Garden. We'll just, we just want some of that. Come on, give us a little garlic. That's what we want about Egypt. And they're like, wait a minute, did you not forget that you were slaves? Yeah, you got some garlic, but you were also a slave. You want to go back to that? So the children of Israel for 40 years desired to go back. They wanted to go back. They even got to the point where they threatened to go back. Do you remember this in the Old Testament? They literally were about to stone Moses, kill Moses so they could go back to Egypt. They were willing to fight, get violent so they could go back. The Bible says in Proverbs, a fool is like a dog that returns to its vomit. Oh, man, and, and some of us, we know that. That's exactly how we feel. That's exactly how we feel. There, there's some habit or hang-up or some sin, and we go back to it, and we feel the same. We're like, man, I, I, I can't believe I'm going back to this mess. I can't believe I'm going back to this dude. I can't believe I'm going back to that friend. I can't believe I'm going back to this situation. These things don't satisfy. These things don't fulfill. What am I doing back here? And why is it that a part of me kind of desires it? That's completely normal because that's what Paul's talking about. There's people that they don't want anything to do with it, but they, they find themselves. You see, we just sang about God being a chain breaker. And many of us, we step back and we're saying, yes, let's have God break some chains off my life. Chains of addiction, chains of substance abuse. God, I just need you to break these chains. And God wants to tell you the chain's been broke. Your issue and my issue is not that we know that we need a chain broken. It's that we need a cycle broken. Because your cycle is this. You've been ransomed, every person here, whether you are a Jesus follower or not, whether you've repented of your sin or not, that is irrelevant. Jesus paid the price. He died for the entire world. His blood was shed for all mankind. Whether you accept or reject him, he still paid the price. So the ransom's done. However, what we do is we move on from that ransom. We're released. We're no longer in bondage to sin. It doesn't mean you and I can't sin. It just means that sin can't hold me back. You and I will still sin. It just means sin doesn't have the, the bondage over us. So we've been released from it, but then we return back to our bondage. So here's our cycle. Released, return, repeat. Released, return, repeat. Release, return, repeat. Release, return, repeat. Release, return, repeat. We're just in this vicious cycle, actually. And, and Paul is saying, the life that you want is back where you left it, and you're going through this cycle of you get released, and then you go back to it, and then you repeat the process. It's like, I come to church on Sunday, and then I live however I want, Monday through Saturday, and then I'll come back on Sunday. I'll hit the altar, and please, God, forgive me. And of course, God forgives us. But I'm here to tell you this. A mistake repeated, a mistake that you repeat over and over is no longer a mistake, but a decision. So what some of you are excusing is, oh, I made a mistake. 
Well, you've made the same mistake over and over. It's no longer a mistake. That's a decision. And some of us are in this cycle, and Paul's like, let's break the cycle. So this morning, church, rub, rub elbows to your neighbor, touch your neighbor, and say, let's break a cycle. Let's break a cycle. Let's be done with this cycle. Because that's what Paul's doing. And Paul has no chill in this text. Have you noticed that? There is zero chill. Their gloves are off. Okay, that was for all my millennial and younger group. Zero chill just means he, he, he. <laughs> I need a translator, all right? That's why we need an urban dictionary to pop up on the screen and everything. I'm trying to be relevant, guys. Okay, let's talk about A-track players, and I'll bring in some of the others back, okay? And uh, so understand that what, what he is saying is he's trying to get you to understand that he wants you to live this life And he doesn't care if he's got to put the truth in a difficult way for you to get it. He's just like, hey, guys, I've spent three chapters trying to get you to this moment. I'm not pulling the punch. I'm going for the jugular. Here's the reality of it. You keep going back to things that you just need to break that cycle. Let me show you how to break that cycle. And if the church doesn't understand this, how are we going to help others? We've got to be breaking cycles. Here, everybody's coming for deliverance in church. I just need to get delivered. When are you going to understand that God has done delivering you and wants you to walk in dominion over those things? You keep coming to church and saying, I need to be delivered from this sin. I need to be delivered from that that, that dating app. I just need to be delivered from that substance. I just need to be delivered. Pastor, just pray over me, pray over me, pray over me. How about you understand that you, because you're a joint heir with Christ, you don't just get access, you actually also get authority. And that's what you don't understand. These things don't have power over you. You're returning to it, giving it power. You're feeding it. I pray that God would wreck us over the small sins. Give us a greater sensitivity over these little things where we just give over to Satan. Satan has no more access to you. The moment you receive Christ, you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He has zero access to you. He, there is a posted sign that says he has been evicted. But where Satan has been evicted, we take that sign and we put an invitation. And then we put, the best is yet to come. Satan's invited. This is the place. And Satan's like, excellent, I'll I'll walk right back in. Because he's looking for an in in your life. And Paul is saying, why do you turn again to those weak and beggarly elements wherewith you desire to be in bondage? This is a bondage issue. And some of you feel like you are broke and broken because of the battles you have faced. Understand, for a believer, battles aren't bad, bondage is. We don't have time to go to Ephesians chapter number six. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the day. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Why would God give you armor if he didn't intend for you to be a soldier? Battling is part of the Christian life. And yet some of us just think, no, I'm broken, broken because of the battles. No. It's because you're in bondage to something this morning. And it's time that you say, I am not leaving this place until that thing is broken off my life. And so you and I need to stop the cycle of us understanding that, oh, you know, I just got to keep coming back and things like that. No, no, no. Be done with that. The United States of America accounts for 5% of the world's population. 5%. Do you know we lead the world in incarceration? 
So 5% of the world's population is in the U.S. But 25% of the world's incarcerated are in the United States of America. Did you know that? Take all 8 billion plus people that are on the planet. We incarcerate 25%. We incarcerate so many people. But do you know the saddest statistic of those that are incarcerated? 76% that are incarcerated return. Wow. That breaks my heart. That should wreck us. But you know what really wrecks me about that? Is because I do that as a Christian. Do you? God's like, I set you free. My son died on the cross. Isn't it glorious? Isn't it amazing? And yet we're like, thank you, Jesus. Last Sunday, I got freedom from my feelings. I'm fighting them. I bought Austin a ticket to Disneyland or whatever. I mean, yeah, let's, we're all excited. And then we, we get through the week, and then we're like, oh, man, this is, this is terrible. We just go right back to it. And we need to understand we don't have to go back to it. It doesn't have to be that cycle. You see, when you're released, you're released never to return. You and I need to burden the boats. You need to sabotage any way for you to get back. I got a new iPad, and the first thing I did, as I told Jane, I said, I got a new iPad, so I need you to put my, my software on it. You say, what software? I'm 39 years old, and I still ask her to put filtering software on my tablets. And she said, well, don't complain to me when I put it on there, and it slows down your internet speed, because that's what I do. I'm like, oh, the filter, it's so slow. Can't watch my Disney movies. Because I know that there'll be a moment of weakness. And in that moment, I need to have something that says, no, no, I've already sabotaged that. So what is your habit, your hang-up, that you won't sabotage? Satan's trying to sabotage you every single Sunday morning. Your tire's flat. The kids are crabby. The breakfast got burned. And then it starts to rain. Every Sunday morning, Satan's trying to sabotage you. How about you get on the offensive, not the defensive, and say, hey, what in my life is pulling me back to those things I don't want to return to? And how about I start sabotaging them? Because there is a life that I want, but it's back where I left it, and I need to get back to that. And God wants you back. See, you were released never to return. You were released to resist the desire to go back. You were released to raise holy heaven on this planet. I wanted to use a different word, but we'll go with heaven. That's why you were released. But I can't do that if I'm bound. I can't point you to freedom if I'm bound. If I was all tied up this morning, locked up, chained up, bound, can I help you, yes or no? No. Better question, would you want my help? No. You wouldn't want my help. In college, I struggled with dating, right? Didn't date very much. And then one day... I started wondering, who am I talking to getting dating advice? And then I realized everybody I was getting dating advice from was single. That's my problem because the single dudes are like, oh, she doesn't respect you. You got to put her in check right now. You tell her what's up. You will call her when you want, and you will get her what, what you want, and she needs to know you can only afford this, and she needs to stop getting what she wants and get what she could afford. And it just, you know, they give the dumbest advice. So I was like, that's my problem. I'm talking to idiots. I'm getting advice from idiots. They don't know nothing about nothing. And then I started talking to some married couples. I was like, hey, talk to me about how to be better at dating. And they were like, well, for starters, stop talking to single people. I was like, okay, check. 
Yet as Christians, we do some very foolish things, don't we? God wants to help you walk in freedom. God wants to help you walk this out. God wants you to know that you're released. Stop returning. God delivered you from those things. And you don't have to repeat those. So resist the desire to return. Israel kept wanting to go back. But you've got to say no. And God gives us the strength to do it. Some of you may this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I hear this message. I'm fired up. I want to break some cycles. I want to break this thing off my life, and I want, to, I want to get it. But I just feel inadequate. I feel weak to do it. And my son gave me a powerful lesson yesterday. Went in for his black belt test. He's doing great. They had to do a test where there was three on one. He was the one, and man, he was, I was like, get him. Get out of the corner. Come on. And he, and he, kick him. Bite him. Scratch him. You know, I, I fight dirty, right? I'm like, got to win. And he was doing good. And then you have to break a cement block. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I was watching people break the block. And in my mind, I was like, I don't even know if I could break that block. And yet, I'm looking at the kid. And he's got to break the block, right? So he goes up there. And, uh, you know, he gives it, gives it a good try. And he hits it. It doesn't break. Ah. He gets one more chance. He goes up. Tries to hit it. It doesn't break. Ah. Kind of a bummer. So there's some work he has to do and everything. And so I said over lunch, I said, I'm going to go to Home Depot. We're going to get some of those bricks. And you're gonna break, we're going to break some bricks. Let's do it. We'll set it up in the backyard. Let's practice, man. We're going to break those bricks. So we go out in the backyard, and I was like, I'll break one, you break one. And I was really worried. I was like, <laughs> what am I doing? And so I was like, oh, you know, trying to psych myself up, you know, just like whatever you got to do to get psyched up and break these bricks, right? And I was like, oh. And he was like, Dad, you don't use your right hand. I said, but I am right-handed. He said, no, that's your dominant hand. It's your stronger hand. Get this, church. He said, we break bricks with our less dominant hand, our weaker hand. This is powerful. Because he said, if you can break a brick with your weak hand, you know you can break it with your strong hand. You may feel like you're in bondage right now, but I'm telling you that if you understand the truth that you can get out as you're weak, then when you're strong, you can all day long. And some of you think, God, I gotta be strong to break through this. God, I gotta have it all together, and I gotta be set. And God's like, no, 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 you can do this with your weakness. Because when I am weak, then he is strong. It's in that moment that God's like, you think you need to be strong to do this? You don't have to be. Nowhere did he say you've got to be strong. He is saying resist. He is saying don't return. And then he goes something powerful. We've got, we got to close it down. That was point one. I got two more. I hope you cancel your lunch plans. I'm just kidding. We're going to wrap it up quick. Write this down if you're taking notes. The freedom you are looking for is in the family. The freedom you're looking for is in the family. I go to a gym. I love going to the gym. But family membership and gym membership are very different, but it communicates this passage very well. I get to go to the gym so long as I do a couple things. I pay my dues, and I follow the rules. I can go to the gym. But if I don't pay my dues and I just kind of strut into the gym, the gym owner will be like, good to see you. You owe me some money. I'm not going to pay. Well, you guess what? You can't come here. 
and my access is revoked. If I don't follow the rules, I start messing around, I start using the equipment inappropriately, all of a sudden, my access, it's revoked. That's how a club membership works. And some of you feel like that's how Christianity works. But you're in a family. And family membership is different. Family membership doesn't act like that. You see, this family you were born into, there's no dues to be paid. And a family member has access. And a family member has authority. And a family member gets all they need in the family. And I know sometimes it may feel like it's hard. It may feel like it's difficult. But understand, membership is conditional. Membership must be maintained. But a family member is based on relationships, not requirements. God is saying the strength of this relationship is based on the relationship, not the requirements that you meet. So some of us don't understand that in this family, there's this relationship that God wants. God doesn't want slaves. He wants sons and daughters. That's the relationship he wants to have to you. And he wants it so intimate, he uses the word Abba Father, which is powerful. Because it's like saying dad or daddy. That's the closeness, or Papa. It's not Father God Almighty in heaven, I kneel in your presence. No. God is saying, I want this close relationship. And yet some of us don't understand that that's what God wants. So in closing, the only failure here is the failure to return. Paul said, I'm afraid for you. Paul's not using hyperbole, guys. He said, I'm afraid for you. Lest I have labored for you in vain. What's he saying? Did I just waste my time? All that time? Was it just a waste? Verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You've not injured me at all. The language Paul uses is a language that says, brethren, Brethren, brothers, sisters, family, I've been there. I know what it's like. You haven't injured me. This doesn't hurt me. It's just sad to watch is what he's saying. So the only failure here is the failure to return. So you found yourself in a cycle. You find yourself continue to be in bondage. It's time to say, God, okay. Lord, I'm coming back to you. I want this cycle to be broken, but it's found in this family. So I'm going to return like the prodigal did. The prodigal son in Luke comes back to the father. And he begins to tell the father that I'll just be your slave. And before the words get out of his mouth, the father says, go get a robe, go get a ring, and go get some sandals on his feet. Before he could even say, I'll be your slave, because the father said, no son of mine will ever be a slave. And the prodigal comes back, and it's then that the prodigal realized something. You see, all that the father had given him originally was not all that the father had. The Father had so much more. The Father has so much more for you and I. And Jesus paid for it. But here's my question. 
is Jesus getting everything he paid for? I mean, he paid for you. He paid for me. But is he getting everything he paid for? If you and I were to go to Capital Expressway and go to the dealership and walk in and buy a car, you and I would not walk out after purchasing a vehicle and they hand us a steering wheel. We wouldn't be like, thanks, I got my steering wheel. No. You'd be like, where's the rest of the car? They'd be like, come back next week and I'll give you a tire. I'd say, no, that's not how it works. I bought the car. How many Christians are like, God, I'll give you an hour on Sundays. Lord, at work, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I want to be a Christian at work. God, I don't know if I want to be a Christian at my home. Is Jesus getting everything he paid for, my friend? He paid for you. He bled for you. He died for you. Is he getting what he paid for? I know that's hard to understand maybe because we can't imagine that that somebody would give their life for us but Jesus did and he's calling us back to him this morning he's saying return return back to me not just return back to church return in heart communion has two words it's to commune and it's the word union I've been to a dinner sitting in union, unison, but I wasn't in communion. My mind was a thousand miles off. I was looking at the phone. Yeah, we're in union at the table, but we're not in communion. Some of you are, yes, your body is here, your mind and your soul is somewhere else. And God is saying, here, now. God is calling you back. He's saying, no, no, here. Here is the place. This is the moment. This is the time. You're not in union. You're not in communion, you're not in fellowship. And God is saying, if you're going to break this cycle, be here with me now. And how many Christians, we fail that. Every day, he calls us back to himself. He draws us near to his heart. And he says, I want you back in fellowship. And God is reaching out to you. And we continue to push away. Not realizing that God is calling us. He's begging us. And some of us are living these broken, broken lives and we're begging from the world's table not understanding that Jesus has a banquet of everything you could ever need. He has a banquet of mercy. He has a banquet of grace. He has a banquet of joy. He has a banquet of peace. He has a banquet of fulfillment. He has a banquet of life everlasting. He has a banquet of love. He has a banquet prepared for you. He's ready for you. And he's saying, come and dine. He's saying, come to the table. It's all for you. I prepared it for you. It's ready for you. And yet, you and I are saying, no, I'm good. Taco Bell's good. God has so much more, my friend. And Satan's trying to draw you away. But you need to understand, God is saying, come back. I'm your father. I'll close with this story. Most people know David Beckham. Famous soccer player played for Manchester United, then came to L.A. and played for the Galaxy. Maybe most famous, he married a Spice Girl. I guess he saw the sign. 
I gotta hit all the time zones, right? We got the 2000s, the 90s, 80s. We gotta hit it all. They had three children, very hipster names. I won't even repeat them. And they would all pretend to be famous soccer players. Pele, Messi. And then the youngest one, just little, just the youngest one, four or five years old. He said, I'm gonna be David Beckham. And the kids just looked at him and they kind of laughed. And he's like, what? David Beckham's awesome. And he was just little. And he'd go around down the playground, in the park, wherever he was. Everybody would pretend who their favorite player was. And a little boy would say, I'm going to be David Beckham. Ah, I'm going to bend it like Beckham. And then somebody told the boy, he said, do you know that your last name is Beckham? Oh, you're right. That's cool. What a coincidence. Do you know what your, la- your dad's first name is? It's dad. No. Your dad's first name is David. start selling merch on eBay and have a little side hustle. Do you know who your dad is? Do you know your dad this morning? I know that in this earth we got messed up relationships and it gets messy when we start talking about fathers but your father is God and he's saying return to me. He's saying I'm here. Come back. Can we stand? Worship team, would you come to the platform? Heads bowed and eyes closed. You don't have to be broken, broken. This morning, God is calling us to return. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I believe that God is speaking in this place. I believe that many are right now you know that while your body is here, your mind and heart is elsewhere. And I'm praying that the power of the Holy Spirit would draw you back, that he would draw your heart, he would draw your mind. Because he said, these people, they love me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God wants your heart. Would you bring your heart back? Can we pray together? How many of you would say, Pastor, just pray for me? I need to come back to God. Is that you? Slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Anybody like that? I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. God bless you. Oh, I see those hands. I see them. I see them in the right section. I see them right here in the back. I see people waving hands. Oh, God bless you. All the hands. Oh, God bless you. Amen. Amen. Hands up all over the room. People saying, God, I want to come back. I'm coming back to the Father. I'm coming back to your heart. I'm coming back to joy. I'm coming to the banqueting table. It's all prepared. It's all ready. Amen. In just a moment, the worship team, they're going to sing and they're going to play. And if I can pray with you, I'm going to be right here. If you want someone to pray with, I'll be right here. If you're a man, I'll pray with you. If you're a woman, I'll have my wife pray with you. But my friend, I wouldn't leave here until I knew my heart was restored with the Father. Until it was reconciled. Nothing between my soul and the Savior 
I wouldn't leave this place until I just say, God, can you and I just have a conversation? So as the worship team leads us, you can sit in your seat and just spend some time there or you can meet me down here. I'll pray with you. But we're a church that we don't just kind of, ah, it's here a mess and let's go on. No. It's not the acknowledgement of a message. It's the application of a message that brings the transformation. And maybe you need to apply something, not later, not next week, but right now. And God's going to encourage you to slip out. Maybe you need prayer for deliverance. Maybe there's something you're just hung up on. And we just want to pray for you. So I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, we're going to have the worship team sing, and you can slip out, or you can sit down and have prayer right there in your seat. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. Your word tells us that you are near to us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And so, Father, we thank you that you never leave us, but while you never leave us, our hearts have left you. I saw 20, 25 hands, Father, raised up saying they want to return to you. Father, I praise you for that. Help them to know that they are released from those things that kept them in bondage. That that power of sin is broken over their life. That they have authority in Christ. And so, Father, would they walk in that authority? And, Father, draw them back. Bring their hearts back. Restore, as David said, the joy of our salvation. Restore that, God. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. If I can pray with you, I'll be right here. Worship team, would you lead us in a song? Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.